1: Hey folks, welcome back. It is a jam-packed Tuesday edition, the final Tuesday of 2020, and it's JJ After Dark, John J. Stremski. We're right here on The Fan and trying to figure out when there's going to be some moving and shaking when it comes to free agency and Major League Baseball. Obviously, a couple big trades were made, and the San Diego Padres are in the middle of it. So let's talk some baseball. Let's get a sense for what's going on. The outstanding insider for the MLB Network, Fox Sports, the great Canadian himself, the great John Marossi. What's up, John? Happy holidays. How you doing?
0: (laughs) JJ, my pleasure to be on the show today. Thanks again for having me on the show. Hope you and your family are doing great during this holiday season. And yes, we do have some baseball news to discuss here
1: between Christmas and New Year's. You ain't kidding. Let's start here, though, John. You know, I go back to when I was a kid, you know, mid-90s, late-90s, and like, Free agency in baseball was so super exciting. Like, I'll never forget as a kid having my AM radio going nuts, finding out that Bernie Williams was coming back to the Yankees and that he spurned the Boston Red Sox. And that was like the day before Thanksgiving. You used to have all this activity. It would happen over a couple of weeks, and fans could get excited. And it's something that you guys and gals would all cover. Now, I look at the Major League offseason – uh, this is turning into like this never-ending marathon, and I get it. You know, it's a pandemic year, and a lot of these teams lost money. But, John, how do we solve this problem of the offseason just turning into this like three, four-month grind, for goodness sakes? Well,
0: J.J., it's a fair question. And uh, I think that the one thing that is unique about baseball in terms of sports in our country, you think about the NBA, NHL, NFL, MLS, they all have salary caps, and we don't in baseball. So I, I think there, there is not that. I know in Canada when you're watching, uh, on usually it's July 1, they always call it free agent frenzy day. And, and you have a signing a minute for 24 hours, and then the offseason is basically done for like one day. And that is not at all what we have in baseball. It is not even close to that in baseball. And I think that you've got a number of factors here. You have teams that are increasingly moving toward younger talent. They believe, with good reason, that older players uh, are not as cost-effective. And they, this is now a very data-driven sport with a lot of analytics. And they say, wait a minute, I'm not going to spend – $30 million a year because I see what Robinson Cano's contract looks like right now, or I see what Miguel Cabrera's contract looks like right now, et cetera. And so you're having GMs thinking much more analytically, much more by the numbers, and so they set their price points and they stick to them. That's, that's really what we're seeing right now. The old notion of I'm going to go out as the GM or an owner and just get my guy, whatever it costs, I've got to have that player. That is simply not how teams really think anymore. It's just, it really is not. And I think that is something that is uh, in the last five or ten years has been a pronounced change. And, and sort of hand-in-hand hand with that, J.J., you've got GMs that say, I'm not going to make a decision until I have to. And if I can save my owner one or two or three million dollars or ten million dollars by instead of signing a player on January 1, sign him on February 15th, I'm going to save my owner that money because guess what, my owner, my owner is unhappy with me, and I get to keep my job, and that's that. Really, that's that is the, the thought process. It, it is really, I think, about that, and I'd love to tell you that it's uh, more complicated and nuanced than that, but I, I really think it's a matter of the, the way the executives look at this. It is not a hey, let's let's sign a player in December and get some season ticket renewals out there and, and have some good hot stove talk on the radio. That that is just not in their thought process right now. And I think it really has been to the detriment of, of building excitement for the game throughout the winter
1: time. John, now you're well connected. You have a lot of people you trust throughout the sport, GMs, owners, players from the players side of things. Have you got a sense? This has become more and more frustrating year after year after year as these off seasons continue and they drag on like crazy.
0: I think so, and, and we've we've heard that from from Tony Clark, uh, the executive director of the MLBPA, where there have been some statements made, and I think that's one of the reasons why we saw a long protracted conversation during the course of the summer uh, as as it related to when the return to play was going to happen. There there are some hard feelings on on both sides of this, and that to me, JJ is going to have to be addressed one way or the other because the current CBA expires in less than one year. And so whether it, it is played out in in small ways in terms of the way that the CBA talks get going or, or in large ways if we get to next December and there's no agreement what happens then, these are things that 11 months from now – We're not sure what's going to happen 11 days from now. So it's impossible to really forecast what the conversation is going to be like. What I would say is a couple things. Number one, let's remember, the last time there was a CBA negotiation, there was a lot of back and forth. It got pretty tense, and there was a deal. Last summer, when there was a lot of pessimism about if we're going to have a season at different times from both sides, there was a lot of back and forth, and we had a deal. So I, I, I want to pledge now that we not get too carried away with this until you know if, if we're at, if we're a year from now and it's now almost the new year of 2022 and there's no deal, I, I think then we we come back and say okay maybe we're a little bit concerned at that point, but I, we are not. That's a year from now, so there's a ton of things that are going to happen in the interim. The most important thing that's going to happen, I think overall, JJ is 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 allowing. Uh, the, the the vaccine and ever, all the work that's happening with respect to COVID to work and then allow life to get back to a little bit more normalcy and allow fans to get back in the stands once we're at a spot where public health has returned to a good level and, and then we can start to think about the future. But I, I think it's important now, J.J., that both sides here realize that first they've got to handle the health and safety protocols for their players, but then also their fans and their their customers and once they can get a get their minds around those two things. Then let's talk about draft pick compensation and other things, luxury tax linkage, all all those issues. That's for next fall. What we have to figure out right now is to how to safely get fans back in ballparks and and make sure that we're all doing our part as citizens to obviously be as respectful as we can be with respect to COVID and then get back to baseball, hopefully being a a great celebration of what we do in this country uh, over the course of the summertime.
1: John, let's get to some stuff on the field, and got to start with the San Diego Padres. I expected them to be a player to try to improve their team. They had a terrific 2020 season. They got young talent core. They get into the postseason, but my goodness, to go and get Blake Snell and you Darvish over the course of a week, I love it. That shows me that young team. Their front office, their regime saying, let's go. Let's try to make a run at this thing. And, man, if I were a San Diego Padre fan, I'd be so fired up for this 2021 season to get going.
0: Well, JJ, I would say this. A very astute observer of Major League Baseball had this assessment of that trade. And I quote, they had a top five farm system that gave them flexibility to trade for Snell, end quote. That observer is Steve Cohen. <laughs> that's exactly what he tweeted last night. And that's exactly right. That, that it really comes down to A.J. Preller, who, of course, grew up uh, on Long Island as a, as, as a, a Met fan, of course, uh, in action, but also had some connections there to uh, the Yankees as well and, and, uh, and Don Mattingly. Yeah, I, I think that I would make this point that the Mets are now looking at this team in San Diego as being what they hope to be from a standpoint of their farm system in a couple of years down the line. The Mets can spend more than the Padres can spend probably, but the, the trading capital, the deals that the Padres were able to make, uh, J.J., they made those two trades and still did not give up probably their top one or two prospects in, in, their, in their farm system. Think about that. You make two significant Cy Young-level acquisitions, in back-to-back days, and don't have to give up one of your top two prospects. That is the definition of a deep farm system, and that is the result of years and years of smart scouting and smart development. That is an organizational triumph. Now, certainly you've got to pay these guys, and Darvish and Snell both make significant money But you can do that and handle that expense because you have inexpensive players uh, that are having key roles on your team. So it's an organizational triumph. Good on A.J. Preller for doing it. And and now it's up to the rest of the industry, teams like the Mets, to find a good response. And and, uh, I suspect, J.J., to me, the fact that the Mets did not get one of these two pitchers in trade tells me that Steve Cohen, Sandy Alderson, Jared Porter, they're focusing much more on signing signing players using their financial wherewithal as opposed to trading from what we know now is a, is a relatively thin farm system.
1: And, John, I'm jumping to this conclusion with Snell in San Diego, with Darvish in San Diego. I thought Trevor Bauer, the California boy, might be a good fit for that team. I don't see the Padres. Listen, you never know with them. Maybe, maybe they got more money than I'm unaware of. I, I can't see them making a play now for Trevor Bauer. Do you get the sense... With this trade or these couple of trades that have gone down, the Mets have kind of moved in the driver's seat when it comes to the Bauer market? I think
0: so. Maybe the Angels still find a way to get involved. Of course, as, as you mentioned, Trevor's connections to California. But when I think about the large market teams out east, yeah, I think the Mets are the team with the best chance to, to get him away from California, if you will. And maybe the Giants still make a play for him. Who knows? Uh, that I think they still want to get one more starting pitcher. But I, I really think the Mets are the most logical landing spot for Trevor Bauer. Now, remember, Tomoyuki Sugano, the posted player from the Yumuri Giants in Japan, he is someone else that the Mets have shown interest in. And and his signing deadline is January the seventh, so it's coming up, and that's the one thing where and who knows how that affects Trevor Bauer, but with Sugano coming up here in the next week or so. That that's one thing I would watch carefully with the Mets. And, and, and Jared Porter has a long experience scouting and, and being a pro scout and being aware of, of Japan and Korea. So I, I'm sure Jared has a lot of firsthand knowledge of, of what Sugano's value is. So I, w- I would pay very close attention there on Sugano if I'm a Mets fan. But if it's not Sugano, then I, I, I do think that there's still that, that natural pairing. Sometimes, J.J., the – the obvious answer is the right one, and the Mets were the team looking to make a big splash, wanted to get a starting pitcher this wintertime. Bauer wants to really drive the the market and, and be in the spotlight. No better place than New York City to do that. So I think on a lot of levels, that pairing that we all saw coming in September is still there for Bauer and
1: the Mets. We got John Morosi of the MLB Network and Fox Sports trying to make sense of this Major League Baseball offseason. Uh, John, are the Chicago Cubs done when it comes to selling off players? Uh, you know, you're not used to a team that's in that big market realm taking a guy who is, you know, a Cy Young candidate and basically shipping him off. Are the Cubs going to look to maybe move a Baez, uh, Brian, uh, uh, an Anthony Rizzo? I think that's highly unlikely. But what do you think about the Cubs now saying, all right, we're good in shitting payroll, or is there more to come?
0: I think there's more to come, JJ, or at least more opportunities, more uh, efforts on their part uh, to make some moves. And whether it's in the next week or, or even at the trade deadline, this move to me signals a fairly clear rebuild for the Chicago Cubs, and uh, all those Cub fans who said, just give me one championship in my lifetime, I'll be totally happy. Uh, th- this this day is now putting that to the test, <laughs> J.J., because uh, th- there are now some Cub fans that are saying, wait a minute, we, gotta, we have to do a rebuild again? Well, what's going on with this? And uh, it- it's like the Theo rebuild without Theo. Of course, Theo Epstein left uh, uh, after the season was over, and it- it's going to be a really interesting Uh, development uh, I think this wintertime because I would agree all those players are available Baez available Bryant available Rizzo available Wilson Contreras might be even more valuable right now based on what his contract is and how many years he has before free agency so I think they're all available we saw even last winter the Cubs they're not going to make a desperate trade this was I, I think with Darvish it was a defensible trade if you're, if you're clearly moving in the direction of rebuilding and wanting to save money, which ownership has said there in Chicago and certainly elsewhere that, uh, given the, the pandemic situation, teams have lost money, and, and this is the, the next logical step for them. So not, not every team is going to do this, but certainly teams that are older, JJ, as the Cubs are, older teams that are not having a ton of success that have a a poor-to-average farm system, which, again, all describes the Cubs. Large payroll, really mediocre play when you really get down to it, especially when you think about October and the playoffs, and then a poor farm system. When that is your circumstance, you have to to make changes. You, You really cannot be stuck in the middle. And the Cubs, I think, have been spinning their wheels, wheels for a couple of years now, J.J., and I think this is the year where, uh, to use the analogy, they throw it in reverse because they, they, don't have a, they don't have a great chance right now to look, especially when your standard is to win the World Series. If you're honest about this, you look around if you're the Cubs. Look at the Dodgers. Look at the Padres. Look at the Braves. Those teams are simply better than you better than you and if the Mets make a couple moves they're clearly better than you too so if you're not competing for a World Series Championship that's now that middle ground JJ where who are you what are you really doing here and I think that the Cubs are deciding right now time to, to put that in reverse and, and rebuild a little bit and, and hopefully secure a brighter future a couple of years down the line
1: John last time I had you on the show about six weeks ago you told me watch out for the Toronto Blue Jays and you know since we've had a conversation I've read a whole lot of Blue Jay rumors. DJ LeMayu didn't sit too well in my stomach. George Springer, I'm sure that wasn't particularly good news to Mets fans who are hoping that maybe they're going to be in play for George Springer. From what you're hearing right now, if the Blue Jays had a preference in signing one of those two guys, Springer, LeMayu, who would their guy be?
0: Great question. I, I, I think that the Jays would prefer to have Springer. I think that he, with what he brings, uh, and DJ too. I mean, they're both outstanding. But I think that the Jays have a clearer need in the outfield. You know, their infield group. I, I think they could play with Bichette. They could play with Biggio. Uh, you think about third base—is Vlad Jr. able to play there? They have some guys in, in that area. The outfield—I I think the outfield has been screaming for a real a leader to kind of sew that group together and really be the conscious of the group and help. I think that that team has not played very good fundamental defense, J.J., in recent years. So I think George is someone that I've always trusted out there. Very good. Very good defensive outfielder is George Springer. And I think for the same reasons, he'd be great with the Mets. And, and for the same reasons, if I'm the Mets, I would be prioritizing Springer over LeMahieu. LeMahieu, to me, uh, I think the Yankees are his best fit. But I was really intrigued, J.J., when I heard Brian Cashman say that he thinks that Glaber Torres's best position is second base. Because if that's the case, then you've got all these shortstops coming up available in the next year. Next year's free agent class, Trevor Story, Francisco Lindor, Javi Baez, Carlos Correa, the entire group, Corey Seager. If you're the Yankees, why not not keep shortstop open for yourself and and, and move Glaber to second and then have one of those guys be your shortstop? So there's a lot of interesting questions there. I love Lemayu. I think he's a fabulous player. uh, But I think overall, if I'm the Mets or the Blue Jays, I think Springer right now fits my club just a little bit better.
1: I think you bring up a fair point about Glaber's best position potentially being second base. And Brian Cashin did say that a couple weeks ago. The only problem I have, John, is I think about the Yankees next year. And they're in this window where it's championship or bust. You know, they've been in the playoffs the last couple of years. They've had success. I just don't know how you sell your fans on the fact that you're a better team without DJ LeMayu. And, all right, you want to go and move Glaber to second base? So be it long term but I, I'd be keeping LeMayu and move him to first. I know Luke Voigt led Major League Baseball in home runs, but they have such a dynamic within that lineup of all-or-nothing guys. I can't lose one of my most versatile players, one of my best defenders, and one of my most clutch hitters. I I, I just don't know how the Yankees can look at themselves and say, we're a better team next year in trying to win a championship without LeMayu. I couldn't make that case. Well,
0: and, and you're right, and that's why... I think we've got a classic staring contest going on right now between Brian Cashman and DJ's agent because well, you're exactly right about that. They need him and and one of the reasons why they need him I think also is the the lack of proven durability for the last 3 years or so with Stanton and Judge and and even Urshela this past year. I mean the, when you consider the makeup of the roster and, and, and the number of injuries they've had in the last several years, you know, DJ, in addition to being a great player, is durable. And certainly is not, not a perfect health record over his career, but he's a pretty durable player. And, and I think that not, not having him would be a tremendous loss to them, both in just the consistency and reliability that, that he offers, and also, to your point, JJ, the, the, the bat to ball, because it really it is an all-or-nothing offense on some days, and they need a little bit more of what DJ offers them. But here's the thing. Everything we just talked about off the top, and and the way that teams operate now, DJ's thirty two years old. A five year deal for a thirty two year old middle infielder is something that really doesn't happen anymore. It really doesn't. Now, uh, might he be able to perform during that time? Sure, but a five year deal for a thirty two year old middle infielder—I'll repeat that—is a is a fairly risky deal in isolation, in a vacuum. It's just—it just is. And and I and I'm sure the Yankees would give him three years. Uh, I I would assume that ultimately, and I think they've probably already at least suggested that they'd probably give them a four-year deal, but I'm not sure if they'd go five times 25. I mean, that's five times 25 is a pretty significant, that's a very significant investment, and that's a long time to be married to a middle infielder. What I would say is is really interesting here is if you could find a way to do the a trade and an extension, let's say, with someone like a Trevor Story or a Lindor or a Baez. You know, one of the younger guys, now Baez is an a, a all-or-nothing player as well, but Lindor is not quite, and I think Story would be a really good fit for the Yankees. So those, those are the kind of deals where there are enough players out there that, that have that, that little bit more of a contact way about them who would fit well that I think the, the Yankees still have some leverage. But for me, J.J., it's right at that four-year, five-year Push point. Do the Yankees just say, to heck with it, I'll give you a five year deal? It just seems like clubs don't often operate that way, but the Yankees are a singular organization in this sport, JJ, so it wouldn't shock me if ultimately they they do go to that five year level.
1: John, I think they got to bring in a veteran pitcher. Um, The question is, who are you bringing back or who are you bringing in? You got the ace. He's worth every penny in Garrett Cole. I mean, he was so much fun to watch last year. Love the way he handles his business. The guy's an absolute stud. From what you're hearing around the sport, who's more likely to be back? You think in Yankee pinstripes, Tanaka or Reliable or Paxton, who missed a good chunk of last year, but you know the upside and the potential for Paxton—it's a lot higher at this point than a guy like Tanaka. Where, where do you get the sense the Yankees view those two guys?
0: That's a great question. I, you know, I, and both both carry their own health risks. Of course, we know uh, with Masahiro Tanaka, there's been the, the concern about the elbow for years. Paxton really has had a uh, a a longer track record of 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 not staying healthy. I think the Yankees would probably have a better chance and the better and the the higher probability would be Tanaka returning. And I say that because Tanaka has proven that he can pitch 200 innings thereabouts for the New York Yankees. And Paxton has not yet done that. When you sign a free agent pitcher to me JJ Uh, durability, and I'm talking about a a relatively expensive deal. Durability has to be paramount. Garrett Cole is a durable pitcher. He is. Now, might he get uh, injured at some point in time? Sure, that's a possibility. But he's a durable pitcher. Paxton has not been. Tanaka, despite the concern about his elbow from years ago, has taken the ball. I I mean, he has gone out there, and I admire him so much for his durability and his reliability. So I I think that because of that reason, Tanaka has the better chance. But I'll tell you, in a thin pitching market right now, J.J., there is some legitimate interest right now in James Paxton. I believe it was something like 20 different teams went to see him pitch here recently at a throwing session. So the interest is high. When you've got a lefty with that kind of stuff, even with a spotty track record of health, he is a very marketable arm right now.
1: John Morosi, MLB Network, Fox Sports. John, appreciate the time. Final one. The Mets fan, I think, has gone into this offseason. You know, new ownership. They're fired up about Cohen. They're fired up that Sandy Alderson's back. But I think for some, they were of the mindset, oh, the Mets are going to sign everybody. Well, Steve Cohen, you mentioned that tweet he sent out yesterday talking about the farm system Sandy Alderson and his presence, I don't get the sense the Mets are signing, you know, 10 zillion different guys. They'll spend, they're going to make a big move or two, but it's not going to be one of these like insane, holy blank type of off seasons. Um, From a model standpoint, is it fair to say what the Mets are searching for here is some sort of balance between the Dodgers and what they're able to do? And the Padres and what they've been able to do is that like a reasonable way to look at what the Mets are trying to build moving forward.
0: Sure, I, I think I think it is, and and I would say eventually, JJ, it's it's more Dodgers. I mean, this is this is one of the it can be one of the great franchises in the game. And you think about the history of the Mets, it really is remarkable. The people who have played there, the heritage of the organization, how it was born, when it was born, everything about playing baseball in New York and having an iconic National League franchise in the biggest and greatest city in our country, it's special. And I would say, though, when you think about the Dodgers, J.J., and how long it took them. Andrew Friedman took over that team in the fall of 2014. How many years did it take him to win the World Series?
1: Six. 2020, yeah.
0: Yeah, six years. And so even when you do things the right way, and the Dodgers, you look at their, you look at their, their payroll structure. They have spent a lot of money, yes, but almost never do you see a really onerous bad contract on their books. Think about, and that's where sometimes the best deals you make are the ones that you turn down, the, the old adage, but it's true. And the times when, when the Dodgers, think about this, there, there are a lot of people at different times pound at the table, why don't you trade for Cole Hamels? Why don't you trade for fill-in-the-blank big-time trade deadline guy in a particular year? Why don't you sign CC? Why don't you sign A-Rod? I mean, who, whoever it was over the years, okay? and so A lot of that obviously was, was in the previous administration there in New York. But the point is, if you, if you sign Bryce Harper, uh, this is a more current example. If you sign Bryce Harper, if you sign Manning Machado, guess what? You're not trading for Mookie Betts and extending him to the level that you did. So you have to really know and really be honest about who you're signing and what you're doing. You can't just sit there and say as much as it is right now, and that's why I think having Jared Porter, and Sandy Alderson, are, are, it's, they're going to be a great team. They're going to help, I think, Take the take that measured approach going forward because just because you can spend money now, does not mean that you should. Does not mean that the player available now is the best one. Because I, I think JJ that one of the most important things. It's hard for us all to do because we want it now. I I would consider free agent markets in like three year increments. You you cannot if, if if you're in year one and and you feel like you can maybe get somebody that you like the next year. I know it's hard to 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 wait for a maybe down the line, but. You cannot make a move today that's going to crowd you out from from the move that you really, really want to and should make a year from now. And that's where the Dodgers shine. They had a point that they would have gone to on Harper. They had a point probably that they would have gone to on Manny, but they didn't. And what happened a year later? Mookie Betts is a Dodger. They win the World Series. And I think the Mets have to remember that, too. There are going to be players that come up in the next couple years who fit them well, and you don't necessarily have to force a LeMahieu or a Bauer or a Springer. Maybe they will. Maybe they'll get one of them. But you don't have to force it right now if it's not the deal that you want to sign. This is not a one-year plan. It's got to be a four- or five-year plan to win. And I think ultimately they're going to do it.
1: The great John Morosi, love his work, MLB Network, Fox Sports, all that unbelievable insight. And uh, I'm sure it's going to be many more weeks for you, good sir, grinding away here trying to figure out who's going where. Um, at least we'll have something to talk about in January going into February. If there's a silver lining to all of it, John. So stay busy, man. Happy holidays. Happy new year. All the best to you and your family. All right. JJ,
0: happy new year to you as well. And and your family love the conversation, reach out anytime. And, uh, we really uh, wish everybody the best in New York. And I, I cannot wait to get back to New York and see baseball again in person. It's, it's, it's a, it sounds like a dream right now. A you ain't way, kidding, man.
1: I a beer, you, you know, city. a little Cracker Jacks, a good scene and watching uh-huh. a game at Yankee Stadium. Let's sounds go, true, John. Sounds so good. There you <laughs> go, man. Happy New Year, right? You too. Thanks so much. That's John Morosi over at the MLB Network. Unbelievable stuff. One of my favorites in all the business. Gives you, you know, inside and out. Really good perspective. A lot more to do. We got a lot more of your calls. Thank <laughs> you.